have the artichokes. One million artichokes. How many artichokes does Bill have in his kitchen? All of them. (laughs) (laughs) All of the artichokes. Fuzzy dog, get your nose out of my butt. You're listening to the Metamore City Podcast. Special update for September 18th, 2010. Metamore City, Season 2. A podcast series written and performed by Chris Lester. For show notes and author contact information, please visit metamorecity.com. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the Metamore City Podcast. We are still on hiatus, but I've got something special for you guys to kind of tide you over in the midst of this dry spell while I'm working on things unseen. This is a roundtable discussion that was recorded last Christmas with me, Bill Bowman, Beck Viper, Brian Watson, and Sarah Lloyd, all of the Michigan voice actors of the Metamore City podcast. We all got together at Bill Bowman's house and sat down to talk about the characters that these guys have played in Metamore City and their reflections on their participation in Metamore. Big thanks goes out to Sarah Lloyd for doing the editing on this. It's going to be in two parts because of the length. And I'm sorry that it took so long to get this to you guys, but hopefully it'll be worth the wait. Hey there, folks, and welcome to the Metamore City Podcast. I am Chris Lester, and I am here with a very special, very special group of people. They are my voice actors from the Michigan cast, the Metamore City Studios Midwest. Say hello to Brian Watson. Hello. Bill Bowen. We are special. Beck Viper. Hello, world. And the lovely and talented Sarah Lloyd. Hello! How come the, none of the rest of us are lovely or talented? We're special. Oh, no, right. <laughs> I I didn't have something, you know, funny or witty to say. I just said, hello. <laughs> so he had to make it more special. special. Right. So we are here <laughs> hanging out at Bill's house, and uh, it's the day after the day after Christmas, and we are just... Uh, getting together for some fun frolic frivolity and as podcasters of course we had to record the entire thing for your amusement frivolity we like this yes frivolity is a wonderful thing it's rather frivolous Mm, yes and also bill and i are now sporting both sporting the full beards which Yar. I just noticed. Yar. <laughs> Yar. Mine was fuller up until yesterday. I did trim a bit. Very nice. Very now nice. it's more pointed. I have the more evil look going. Yes, I noticed the evil bill. <laughs> evil bill. Evil. Well, that it's appropriate. You know. 35% more evil. Yeah, I keep putting you in evil characters. You know, <laughs> typecast and I have, don't even do this for a living. <laughs> That's okay. But you I'm have such too. a voice for it. Yeah. <laughs> what exactly are you typecast as? You've played, you've played my alter ego, and you've played a blonde bimbo. So I remember Braylon. Remember Braylon? And Braylon, yeah, yeah, Braylon. Okay, and she was something completely different from Danny or Caitlin. Okay, well, besides the role that Brian put me in, they've all been sexual roles. Yeah, just wait till the next episode Caitlin shows up in. And it's- oh, <laughs> wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> so, okay, but sexual roles in Metamore City. How well, is kind of redundant. Okay. I think even the nuns can have sex in Metamore. <laughs> That's not... Depends well, on their denomination. <laughs> 
I'm sure if they belong to You've Bride, required me to <laughs> times to do um, sound effects. And okay. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. But Bill, I was freaking out like when I was listening to you like beating up um, what's her face? Abby. Abby. I, oh, yeah. Yeah, well. I was like, Bill, <laughs> you don't have that in you. See, well, and then it's me because I know both of them, you know, Bill and Heather. And it's like, <laughs> you did a very I'm, good job of it, but I was like, <laughs> where did that come from? There's no mean streak in Bill. I, I just don't see it. No, 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 that's that's true, but I had to sit there and go, okay, well, my character, he needs some killing, mm-hmm. so i got to make it look like he needs the killing. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> needs, he needs a lot of, you know, <laughs> he needs a lot of killing. Lots of killing. All I don't of think the he, killing. All of the killing needed. I don't think he got quite enough killing, actually. It was a little too quick Oh, come on, fast. all of my characters get killings. <laughs> yeah, Both I mean, characters, I, I mean, Trajan, I got a drop, I got a, a roof dropped on oh, me, right. basically. Right. And, no, uh, you know... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, and uh, you know, well, at least at least Victor did get a you bit got, of a pummeling before he was killed. Yeah, so killed by a shit. nerd, dude. Good. I mean, like a super Again, geek. He needs so, to like explode into pieces. I feel at the end as well. I'm just glad you having well, his brain like fried by electronics. Speaking of uh, though, as as the character of Brian Summers, I'm very glad you weren't a load bearing boss. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, you know, the whole story would have collapsed otherwise. Yeah. No, no, I couldn't. I, I'm glad I wasn't either. <laughs> Although Trajan was almost a load-bearing boss in reverse. The building fell over and then he died. And then he died, yes. 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 But just a load-bearing boss in Metamore. You know, if you kill him in the right place, you're going to bring down half the city. Right. <laughs> Gee, oh God, then what happens when Malcolm finally goes down? Well, mm. interesting and exciting thing. <laughs> We're talking about load-bearing bosses here. It's like, yeah, yeah that would describe Malcolm. Yeah. yeah, I would think so. Yeah, at least in a social sense. Yes, of least... course, he is not the top person in the Vampire Syndicate. This is no, very can true. be replaced. He can be replaced. <laughs> Are you giving us spoilers? No, no. more like little teases. Uh, yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> This is true. Well, any except for one, any of the vampires could be replaced. Yes, yeah. I mean, I well, really don't see Malcolm as a villain, to be honest. Mm-hmm. He's he, he is the power in the city. I mean, at this point, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that's you're right. He is what he as he says himself. He's pragmatic, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he right. does what needs to be done. Exactly. Just. We don't necessarily agree with his methods, mm-hmm. yes. or with what needs to be done. Sometimes. Well, okay, right. but the definition you know. of what needs to be done it is arguable. Yes, yes, yes. But he makes such a wonderful foil as opposed yes. to an honest villain. He's a great antagonist. Yes, there we go. Yes, he's a great antagonist, and deservedly so. But since he's actually, in reality, just a stormtrooper, it's going to be some farm kid in the end. To bring him. <laughs> yeah, it'll be just random. Like, what? <laughs> what happened? We haven't seen yet that he can't hit anything. So <laughs> that's true. He, 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 that's that's why he doesn't do, use firearms. He doesn't use do the killing himself. Right. He has other people to do that for him. Yes, yes. He recruits well talented. Help in that regard. <laughs> yes, Braddock, for instance. For Recruits an interesting word. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, he creates. By the way, would you like to join my organization? Not no, really. too I'm bad. Too late. <laughs> Ecologically, recruitment is when an organism manages to produce an offspring that successfully take root and, re- and survive. So, mm, true, true. I guess true. that. I guess that 
works as a definition. Right? <laughs> yeah, I want to get all technical and scientific on it. Which I do. <laughs> oh, come on. Who are we talking to? I mean, come on. Hello. <laughs> and what does he do as a day job? Yeah, really. <laughs> so I thought he was sir- a superhero in his day job. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> you gave it away. Again. Now I'm going to have to go out and have everyone's minds erased again. <laughs> you can Last buy... time that happened, we ended up with President Bush. You can buy the amnesia <laughs> dust from me. It's all fine. <laughs> oh, no. So, Beck, tell us about the job, the story you're working on for oh. Callie. Um, the story for Callie is... This is a younger Callie than we've seen so far. Um, and... She is, she's at the point of talent, but not training. Mm. And so she's developed a lot of the physical skills. She's developed the awareness that a child of the street has to have to survive. Um, She notices things. And of course, we all know that Callie's quite bright. But... Callie winds up stumbling into something that's much, much bigger than she should have gotten herself involved in. And she gets involved for affection for a particular individual. So it's going to be very... um, the, The worst part I'm having with it right now is... I wound up having to add extra characters. Mm. People I was not expecting to have to add. But because Callie is so young, there has to be adults. Right. People with more responsibility, people with more ability. Um, And um, so she runs into, actually, um, in her her quest for, oh, crap, what did I get myself into? I need to help bailing (laughs) myself out of it. Um, Some very interesting and powerful characters that we have not seen yet and um, hopefully um, Chris won't mind what I did with one of well, one of his characters. <laughs> so it still has to go through editorial approval as to um, a certain a, a certain well-known public figure that will, shall remain nameless and that'll be my teaser. Oh. <laughs> nice. Well, that sounds really interesting. I love your character, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Callie was always fun to listen to. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the most interesting things that I've... One of the most interesting pieces of feedback I've gotten about Callie mm-hmm. is that when she's on the page, she comes across as a very dark, very cynical character, but that the portrayal that you bring to her brings more of a lightness to her and it sort of it sort of provides some contrast because yeah there is that darkness because of where she is but you give us this 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 presentation of someone who's having so much fun and doesn't really let the darkness touch her it's sort of I always kind of associated it as a, a defense mechanism really on Callie's part that the world is a scary place, and I can either be scared and stuck in a corner and doing nothing, or I'm going to continue living. Right. And for Callie, it's the, the, the hide in a corner is just something I don't think that's ever occurred to her. Yeah. And partly, um, this is some background that Chris gave me, um, 
her her mother, which is never mentioned up to this point, is in some ways this very indomitable character. Mm. And Callie, although she may never have internalized it, has ta- or thought it through, um, has internalized a large portion of that. Um, and so she's just like, you know what? There's a lot of things that suck, and I can't do anything about them, but I will take care of my little corner of the universe. And mm. I can make things better for me. And she's willing to do... Not everything, or I should say anything, to get that. But as you know, we see in the um, in making the cut, she's not going to play favorites as to how she's going to do it. It's okay. The vampire syndicate's going to pay us money. I'm there. Mm-hmm. They're going to pay me enough money that you know I can get my family. Out of a very crappy situation, guess what? I'm not going to argue about working for the vampires. And then she's like, okay, the teeps want to hire me. That's cool. You know, and most people would sit there and say the hive is basically decent, with a few exceptions. Um, but Callie's like, you know, I work for who pays me. And she's not super picky about her contracts. Um, I think she'd prefer to work with the good guys just because things tend to be cleaner. Cleaner, and you tend to get paid more reliably. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's less chance of being rucked and, and shafted by the good guys. The bad guy is lawful evil. Though. That's well, well that's why she's willing to work for the vampires. They pay on time. Well, that, then, you know, you're more likely to get paid with cash instead of something else. Yeah, <laughs> this from is the true. bad guys. We never know what they're going to pay with. Yeah, mm-hmm. and is it bullets or but goes yeah. goes bullets, blood or money? Um mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So, yeah, she she does pick and choose to an extent, but she's you know, she's Yeah. Somewhere between chaotic neutral and chaotic good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's willing to be mercenary. Yeah. And so yeah, but in the, in for the most part, she was what going to y'all? enjoy what she's going to do. You know, it's Fiona, mm. just hanging around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. Advice. Because I mean, it could have been dark and grim, and it's like, no, and Kelly's just Fiona's the one who's being dark and grim, and Kelly's just going to go poke, poke, <laughs> poke. I, say, I, I can say, actually I think that she was trying to annoy, just willfully yeah, trying to annoy Fiona. She was. I can literally see Fiona standing there with Kelly going. <laughs> you can because Kelly's just you know, Kelly's just sort of like, honey, you're too grim. Lighten up. up. Yeah. Well, also for her own amusement. Yeah, well, that's well, I'm it. bored. I'm gonna annoy Fiona now. <laughs> and the rest of her summer cell just just feeling the psychic, <laughs> the psychic equivalent of teeth grinding. <laughs> mental teeth grinding. Yeah, that's, that's likely true, actually. We, we are paying her, right? Yes. I can't kill her then. No. no not if we're going to make this work. Crap. Later, remind me maybe? how she's valuable. Remind me. So we see here that the uh, protagonists of the story are actually more likely to kill Callie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And the <laughs> yeah, it depends on the protagonist. Yeah. <laughs> I think in the in, 
and she kind of endeared herself to them. You mm-hmm. know, towards the end, they're like, oh, she's not so bad. Yeah, yeah. it's like, not going to be a vampire. Not going to be a vampire thrall. No, uh-uh. N- nope. Well, when the crash <laughs> started flying, you know, she definitely... Uh, she definitely held her own in the fight. So yeah, yeah, proved her worth. Yeah, they're sort of like, oh, um, we thought she'd be baggage. Evidently not. <laughs> no, not. look, she saved us. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> she saved the trained warriors. <laughs> uh, just a little bit of luck. Just a little bit of luck. It helps so much. <laughs> when properly applied in the right location. Yes. Yes. Which um, is, of course, always the problem with cancels. Yes. Applying them in the right location. <laughs> well, the, unfortunately, the cancel luck is <coughs> typically, not always, favorable for the cancel. Anybody surrounding them? It's a crapshoot. It's a crapshoot. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it could have blown up for Brian and Fiona. It just didn't. Oh, look, you took that bullet for me. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. you know, it's it was sort of like... reason you decided to jump out at this last minute and catch that bullet for me. <laughs> Lucky. Lucky, Lucky for me. For me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Lucky for, for me. Yes. Sorry. Oops. So, Sorry, moving, sucks to me. Moving the microphone over. over. to Sarah, yes. Oh, no. Oh. Over to Bill, actually. Yeah, yes. Oh. Didn't what? What? That so, would be me. Yes. yes. Okay. Bill, tell help. us about your experience with Metamore. Uh, it was probably, you know, it was the first thing I've ever done like this. So it was great fun. Um, although I think it was kind of funny when we were doing some lines for later. This is, you know, with my wife was doing some lines and there wasn't a director handy. Occasionally, that made the lines go a little faster. <laughs> of course, you know, that's because I had no idea what I was doing. But <laughs> um, it, this, it's been a great experience. But, um, and, and being cast as the villains, villainous characters, I mean, like, like we were talking earlier, you know, the, we have pragmatists and then we have Victor. <laughs> <laughs> Not not um, doing what needs to be done, just doing it to get his own. You know, mm-hmm. all he want was his own, and he wanted out. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, can't say we haven't all felt that way. But yeah. you know, the that was a that was one of the things that I you know the, you kind of empathize with him a little bit at least at that point. You know, yeah. we've all wanted just whatever we needed to get out. You know, that's what I that's what I took from the character. Not the fact you know you know yes he did go the wrong way shall we say to get there but um and hurt a lot of people on the, along the way and really did need some killing yes mm-hmm. one of the things that occurred to me in retrospect was that he is kind of um daniel's shadow archetype he um is in similar circumstances was um pushed to the margin in similar ways mm-hmm. was used for his talents right and exploited and resented it, just like Daniel did. Just like Daniel did. did. Mm-hmm. And the way that he chose to respond to that was completely different. Right. And mm-hmm. he, he presented to Daniel a, a, a different way of looking at his circumstances that tempted him in a, a direction that he otherwise might not have gone. Right. Mm-hmm. And what's the, the phrase I, I just I always remember? Life is 10% of what you're given and 90% of how you react to it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they were both given the exact, basically the exact same things and went radically different directions with it. Yeah. And his way was 
well, as we find out, obviously the wrong way <laughs> to go. Did not work so well. <laughs> Did not work as well as he had hoped. <laughs> when when you have basically the entire hive looking for you, um, and the only way you're staying alive is by killing those that find you, I think you made a poor choice along the way, mm-hmm. would be my guess. Yeah. It's a possibility. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. very likely at that One point. One interpretation. Well... Mm-hmm. But then he was so. By then he was so far in down down that path. He, there was, he made it, his bed. It, and you know, and he was a lot of the night nuts to be just. Well, yeah. Him. I mean, if you remember the 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 um, flashback segment. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, back when he was what was it seventeen eighteen somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wasn't stable then either. It didn't matter. He, there was no. Just because he was marginalized, I don't think that was really it. I think I think that's just what it was. He started out unstable and mm-hmm. just. Kept overbalancing, and then you know some of the stories try to um, redeem the villain character. Mm-hmm. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it does. I mean, it does seem that he was pushed into it, but it all comes down to um, personality type as well. You know, some people would deal with that type of pressure differently, and he definitely dealt, dealt with it the way he, he would. You know. Well, and yeah, like like we're saying though, I mean, he started out unbalanced. And never really got never the really, support or yeah he didn't have the support of the summer cell that went that that yeah. Daniel had you know even though he didn't really know he had it because he was because he was hanging out with Victor a little too often mm-hmm. and Victor was saying hey hmm come with me I got you know I got places to go I got and it all I got it all figured out we're gonna you know we're gonna make something of this and you know screw everyone else mm-hmm. but you know the whole idea of the hive was you know for all. As well as that works, you know, either way. But, you know, saying that going off on your own on this sort of thing is not going to work out as well as it could. But One of the most interesting things that um, I saw, I forget who said it to me. It might have been Dan, might have been Kitty, but uh, said that Victor seems to, what, what really makes him freak out and lose control of himself was being surprised. That he had this need to control, control. his mm-hmm. circumstances. Mm-hmm. Everything had to be under control. Situation. Mm-hmm. And when it got out of his control, when it slipped outside his plan, that was when he lost it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> Most definitely. definitely. He was not a, not a person you want to throw a surprise party for. Not many of you make it out. Um, but, but because I mean, he that, did which, not go to the uh, Imperial Stormtrooper Marksmanship Academy. No, he did not. He did, in fact, he doesn't need guns. No. <laughs> no. As we proved, he doesn't even need a gun to shoot you. He uses your gun on you. Um, yeah, the bullet at least. Just shoot yeah, at least the bullet. bullet. Yeah, really shoot at me, go fast. right ahead. That's fine. I'll stop it and, fight and use it on you. But. Um, and which is kind of the the whole he was the he was the anti hive, mm-hmm. I mean because the hive was the core. So I mean they wanted they wanted complete control, but as a group, mm-hmm. I mean so that means you had to relinquish some control to some to the rest of the to the rest of the collective. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. And he had to have all of his control in his own pocket. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he was. But gone. That, oh, <laughs> but, that was, but that was the whole point of Victor's control. Is he had this very chaotic part of him that he knew about. He didn't like to think about it, but he knew about it. And he over-controlled because of this inner chaos. And yeah, he just projected that outwards. It was like yeah. this perfect balance, or 
uh, a contrast, actually, uh, between true ideal socialism, which is what the Hive wants to be, mm-hmm. and totalitarianism. Which is where Victor was Which going. Which is where Victor was aimed. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and yeah, that's, that's a good point. You know, that whole rate, his whole suppressed rage, that's what it was. He suppressed it so far that he had to take everything in control. Otherwise, if anything went out of control, it was, you know, there was, it was a very, very small barrier that he had put up because it was so, the, the, this chaos rage issue thing was just so right there. It was a part of himself that he'd never, um, come to terms with, had never processed, had never um, integrated. Right. And yeah. so it became, it grew and grew, and he pushed all the things about himself he didn't like into, into that this, into that void. This, yeah, exactly, <laughs> until it became this monster that he couldn't control anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. So if anything snapped his control at all, that was it. Well, that, he's definitely a good example as how... Um, us, you know, the hive doesn't work for everybody because everybody is an individual. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, well, and that's... Everyone is an inv- individual... You're right. You're right. You know, in, 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 mentality. In, in trying to act as a um, perfect member of the hive, he was suppressing those parts of him that were undesirable as mm-hmm. to, to the whole, the whole, to the whole hive yeah. mentality mm-hmm. and therefore driving himself crazy mm-hmm. far from it yeah he hid all that stuff so that they wouldn't know that he to was gain unstable. acceptance right and which didn't work mm-hmm. as we find out it just you know they yeah. they, 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 they could knew see what it he was. they knew it they mm-hmm. saw it and they, i mean they then they used it mm-hmm. i mean they knew he had this control problem they used it when he was in MID yeah they definitely you know? used it to, to their own advantage exactly. they did not anticipated it, it slingshotting back at them yeah. well you know it, you don't you wouldn't expect that sort of thing and you know especially yeah. if you 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 feel you have somebody under control yeah you know they you're under their thumb mm-hmm. they they don't think that um which I think is the hive's greatest weakness. That mm-hmm. It believes it has everybody under control. It, it and also, and I think the hive also believes that by having so many people, that they're practically, in their own mind, omniscient, mm-hmm. and they Over, they think that having you know all the available information means they have all the information, and they mm-hmm. don't. They they've got what everybody knows, and all of that is, I mean, aside from just being finite to begin with, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, is also tainted by everybody's perspective, perspective mm-hmm. and, and preconceptions colored of the individual that, and the hive doesn't seem to do that because as, as great and powerful of a, a mental organism that the <laughs> hive is, it's still a finite <laughs> organism and they, they don't realize it. I think it's a big, huge blind spot the whole thing has. And they don't they don't realize, although Miriam and possibly some of the others who've been who've lived long enough mm-hmm. see it, um, that too much of their prejudices color the information they have. Right. Yeah. That's that's yeah. the that's part of that. And huge what they choose to give spot. out. What what, yeah. what they choose to give out, but also what they choose to listen to. Right. If X and Y people know, you know, Z object, but the rest of the hive's perspective is, we don't like Z, mm-hmm. they will discount it even if 
the reality is that's what the threat is. Because Z is the guy in the room with the big uh, minigun. <laughs> yeah, we but, don't care for that. Yeah, we don't like the reality that you're telling us about. Therefore, mm-hmm. our prejudice says discount it. This, you know, yes, it's there, but <coughs> it's not important. Or the other side is that they tend they'll take um, threats that are maybe less than they think that they are. And mm-hmm. they, because they, they are preconditioned against them. Classic example, their fear of the mundane. Of the mundane, yeah. yes. And, you know, their fear of societal exclusion and of, of, you know, society normals turning against them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, this this sort of thing, They it's that whole expect betrayal and you'll see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it just keeps getting amplified and the, the entire hive has become this echo chamber. Well, I wouldn't be so paranoid if everybody wasn't out to get me. Exactly. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, and you think about it, that's the... Uh, there. Yeah. the, the and, and, and in a hive situation, all it takes is one. Mm-hmm. One, one person leaking something into the, the, the group consciousness... Mm-hmm. All the people picking up going, hey, wait. And then it just starts, it can, I, I didn't think of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, wait, well. And then some other people going, well, no, that can't be true, but, it, but it's still going to be that little seed that's there. Mm-hmm. It's that, just like how, an, everybody has that little seed in, their, in themselves about, you know, whatever, our preconceptions, our prejudices, our whatever we have. And it's, it, it, once you start putting in, I don't know how many people are even in the hive. I don't know if it's mentioned. Four oh. millions, <laughs> tens of millions, of, you know, millions, tens of millions of people. I just the summer cell. There's only four. Shh. They, they, <laughs> I'm sorry. they are the, the summer star. cell. Is the is the hive? The hive. <laughs> you didn't know. I thought that was in the memo we gave you when you joined. More than four, though. Oh yeah, that's shh. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's the, base thirteen are math. We start with zero. And that's the first one. It's 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 actually computer math. Um, but anyways, <laughs> it's two to the fourth. That's how many. There we go. Um, but and you you can't always suppress it. I mean, you you can try to. I mean, that's your, I'm sure the people in the uh, in the hive try to suppress their preconceptions. But then there's some that don't. I mean, and those are the ones that. And the same thing happens in in, in just Society. any group. Mm-hmm. In any group, you try to suppress your um, prejudices against something. That's called society. I understand yeah. that, but then there's then there's the ones that aren't that, that don't, and those are the ones that get listened to. Yeah, it's the, the silent majority versus the vocal minority. Mm-hmm. You know, the vocal minority. The minority. The exactly. Of the majority. Because they, because they're the ones that say something, and that that's how the stuff that gets leaked into the you know into the hive mind. I wonder you know, how long it's going to take for a very clever enemy to figure this out and use it against the hive. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That's a very interesting question. Well, that question. book hasn't been written yet. Brian. <laughs> Brian, get on that. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. You've already, already got, what, two more stories to, to write? Yeah, uh, let's tell, tell us about the stories that you're working on. Okay, right? Brian's stories. I've actually got a, a third in mind. Oh, my. Uh, another short story. Yes, you have to finish one. Well, it, it, it's like I told Chris, for those of you who have heard that I'm trying to work on these... Um, but it's like I told Chris, you know, just starting the new job a few months ago, it sucked up so much of my mental energy that I, I had nothing to give the written word. Um, but the two stories I'm working on right now. Um, one is called Planifolia, which will be a longer story, perhaps a short novel. 
um, which is uh, about well, it's it's a sequel it's to about, it follows off on some things that Make Believe touched on. Make Believe set up a, f- a few things. Um, there's a string of murders of uh, preternaturals, the people in Metamore with uh, abilities beyond the vanilla humans, which is uh, Planifolia, is the a species of the genus Vanilla. It is common vanilla. So that's that's where the title comes from. Um, and Cooking. through this... Yeah. <laughs> Why would that leak into your writing at all, Brian? I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> Gee. <laughs> it's not like I do it for a living or anything. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I'm going to put some Reese's in that. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, about pastry, too. So it's, you know, better. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, the story revolves uh, centrally around um, John Tunstall from uh, uh, Make Believe teaming up with Brian Summers. And uh, th- while they uh, investigate this, also uh, with the help of um, Michael, whom we met in Welcome to the City. Um, yeah. Mike. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> remember him? Well, I, you know, and a lot of stories. Going it's because I asked, <laughs> I asked Chris, you know, when we're going to see more of him, and he he just kind of as soon as you write it, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, you know, he has an uh, for being a vanilla human, he has a very interesting talent. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there's there's going to be. Um, a lot of interesting character interactions in that. I hope they're interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're terribly interesting. Um, whether or not readers and listeners think that is yet to be determined. Mm-hmm. Um, the other story is um, called When I Was a Boy. And it involves uh, the two characters, uh, Peter and Sarah, whom appeared very, very briefly in making the cut. Uh-huh. Peter was the telepath that uh, had sex with uh, the normal Sarah, and then they got the permanent Mentally mind used. link. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Um, and uh, just, it's not that they've gotten better, they've just learned to work with this condition and become uh, two very, very useful agents in a particular organization. I don't know if I should mention that organization mm-hmm. here. No, you shouldn't. Okay. Um, <laughs> they... Uh, uh, it's it's going to be a short story. I'm shooting for uh, four to six thousand words on this one. Um, it's an awfully large range. Four words to six thousand words. You know, I and, and really, I'm already at at least ten. So okay. I. Well, you overshot that. <laughs> you, you really oh, right, you're done that then. First <laughs> the first estimate, but that's why I have such a big range. So then I hit my goal still, and okay. it looks. Like <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I was going to say, there's five words just in the title. <laughs> um, the uh, so so yeah, it, it's fun. It, it actually it doesn't take place in the city itself. It takes place in one of the uh, agrarian states, provinces, whatever provinces you want to call them in Metamore. Uh, and uh, it's it's actually uh, narrated by by Sarah mm. when. Um, but every now and then she gets interrupted by Pete talking back to her. 
<laughs> nice. It <laughs> uh, should be interesting. I, I, I wonder kind of what happened to them, because it seemed like you left it kind of open mm-hmm. there. Which is why I jumped on it. And that's actually my goal as a writer in Metamore, is to take things that Chris planned and um, produce enough of a twist on them to annoy him. So. <laughs> And what he's really doing is he's filling in my plot holes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, so Chris tells me that Artax is in communication with these, um, these, these beings, these spirit beings from somewhere else. And I say, okay, they talk to him through plants. And... <laughs> 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 Which becomes a major plot point in book two. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yes. You, know, yeah, and you, you took some of Brian's characters. Yep, yep, I totally did. So, Levinson, right? Comes yep, back. Levinson's got a major role in Things Unseen. Um, That's great. Well, that would be good because I want to hear Brian's really dad. <laughs> <laughs> I just call him dad, but it's. I, I want to I hear Brian's dad do more uh, voice acting and outtakes. <laughs> the um, there is a third story which I have just uh, the barest ideas of a, a plot for, involving um, Nathan dragging Brian Summers to uh, his favorite. Uh, teeny bopper girl concert for something. <laughs> um, ostensibly, uh, Brian's there to work security and Nathan is his technical advisor, but really he's there just to oogle her. Well, well yeah. <laughs> you know? And of course, to Mayhem and... Whom? Uh, the teeny bopper person. Teeny yeah. bopper. I think he might have. The angel or yeah, yeah, that's, that's, her that's her name. I don't remember the no, name. Yeah. after the, um, the, the influence <laughs> of um, quick, his name. Jared. 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 It would have to be. <laughs> this after it has worn off? Uh, yeah. Because, because he took down all his posters and his little mm. Tiffany Angel bust he had. Uh, yeah, I'm assuming. I'm, assu- I'm assuming that in the end, horniness wins out. <laughs> it generally does. It generally does. Yeah, um, he just internalized all of his adoration, <laughs> and uh, I don't have to tell you that mayhem will ensue. Mm-hmm. Um, Usually, either mayhem, wackiness, or hilarity ensues. Given given um, Nathan's Costello to. Uh, uh, Brian's Abbott. I think all three may ensue. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, that would be great. Plus, I really just wanted to do something um, to get Steve Ely more involved. I so say, you yeah. just want to talk to Steve Ely, like, if not in person, just... Well, like I said, he's not following me on Twitter, Steve. I'm on at you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rish Outfield. And I'm Big Anklevich. And he's 080T, our robotic production assistant and show editor. We're here to tell you about the Doonstief Audio Fiction Magazine. The Doonstief is a podcast that brings you fiction stories submitted by writers, real and imagined. That's right. Science fiction, fantasy, horror, and anything else we find that works on audio. Each episode also includes insightful commentary from your intelligent and attractive host. So please stop by on the Doonstief.com and have a listen. That's D-U-N-E-S-T-E-E-F.com. You're probably wondering what the Doonstief is. I know I am. Big, why don't you uh, tell us where that name comes from? No, it's all right. You can tell him. But I, I don't know what it means, man. Oh, it's, uh, it's my middle name.
My parents were hippies. Oh, guess we should cut this part out of the promo. Hey, uh, 080T, can you edit that last part out? Uh, was that a yes? <laughs> you don't want to know, man.